Well, good morning. So good to have you. Uh, look at the number of you that are here. Uh, welcome for those that are coming into the sanctuary. Uh, it's good to have you. And uh, welcome on this day. This is the day that the Lord hath made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Let us uh, spend time really rejoicing. So uh, I just got a couple of announcements. Uh, next week, next Saturday, March 2nd at 9 a.m., uh, there are flyers out um, on the table, but um, Nick Izzy is going to be doing a presentation, a long-term financial planning and aging issues presentation. It is free. It's being brought to you by us here at the chapel, but also um, Community Blend. And so I'd encourage you to come. It is from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. and there's light breakfast served. They always have to bring the food in. Talking about food, I want to uh, thank Kathy Halpin and her group. Uh, last week, we had our welcome team uh, luncheon, and of course, they did a phenomenal job. So thank you so much for that. Uh, for those that are want to be part of our welcome team, you see people um, at the doors. They welcome you as you come into the church. Uh, there are people on the welcome team. There are people that are on the doors here in the sanctuary. If you have any desire to be part of that team, we would love it if you would uh, reach out to us. You could reach out to myself, um, Karen Alpaw, who's out there in the door right now, or Scott Thompson, any one of the three of us. We would love to have more members of the team, um, but we do have a great team here, so I really appreciate them. Uh, just a couple of um, prayer requests. There's uh, many of them. All, each one of you that came into the sanctuary should have received a uh, flyer. It will list uh, uh, several things that are going on. One, right after our service this morning, we're going to have our annual business meeting. Uh, so members, uh, there are sheets outside. You should have signed in um, to note that you're here. Um, if you didn't do that, just do that at the end of the service. And for those of you that are not members or new to the church and you just want to learn more about our church, please feel free uh, to stay and uh, we'll be talking a little bit of business but you'll get a sense of what's going on here uh, intercessory prayer also happens uh, on Sunday mornings before church uh, before Sunday school at 9 a.m. in our conference room in the back uh, we would love it if you would come a couple of announcements the um, or a couple of things I want to put on the radar. Uh, Linda Matthews is going to be, I believe, starting chemotherapy this week. Um, so uh, just uh, please uh, keep her in prayer uh, as she is battling uh, this disease. And uh, we pray the same for Diana Kelly as she goes through her struggles. Uh, we pray that you be lifting them up. One of our former members, uh, Marty Nyland, also has been battling cancer now. Um, our brother is in the hospital and he's got double pneumonia. So if you could be uh, thinking about him and praying for him. Uh, one other thing, uh, we've had some issues with the sound this morning. So if you see the sound going in and out, just don't be worried about it. Um, they got a great crew back there and they'll figure it out. And I forgot I'm wearing my sweater today. That's probably not a good thing either. So, but let me pray for us and let us get started. Father, you are such an amazing God. I thank you for the fact that you're always available to us. You're always here. I thank you that in the midst of all the ugliness that's in our hearts and in our lives and around us, you are creating beauty. I thank you for your care and your compassion. 
I thank you that you are the great deliverer. I thank you for eternal life, Lord. The struggles that we go through seem like they don't ever stop, but you have given us eternal life, everlasting life in your son. I thank you for your faithfulness and your forgiveness that you've granted us, Lord. Lord, I pray right now your grace would so saturate us. I pray that we would see and hear of your gospel and be so amazed at what you've done. This holy God deals with unholy people. It's just so earth-shattering. It's amazing. I thank you that you're immutable. You don't change. Everything around us seems to change, but you don't change. We thank you that you're just and King of kings and Lord of lords and you're majestic, Lord. Lord, help us to see you as big in light of all the struggles. And we've got a number of people that are out sick, Father. The, the sickness that has been going through our church and a number, a couple of the elders are struggling as well, Lord. I pray that you'd lay your hand upon them. As we were sharing with Linda Matthews, Father, she is battling. I pray for her right now. Pray for our sister. I pray that you give her the strength. Pray for Tim as he supports her. Pray for their family, Lord. Wrap your arms around them. I pray for Diana, Father. And I pray the same thing for her, Father, and Victor and her family, Lord. I pray that you would continue to bless them and give wisdom to their doctors. And for our brother, Nile, Marty Nyland, who is struggling right now in the hospital. Lord, as they're going through these battles, sometimes it can be discouraging. I pray that you would encourage them, encourage us by your gospel. Today, this morning, Lord, help us to sing for your glory. Help us to speak as Pastor Doug comes and speaks for your glory and help us to hear from you today and help us to reflect you in all that we do, all that we say, for your glory, for your honor, for your majesty alone in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Would you stand and sing with us this morning?
a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within through the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. And it's all about you. All about you, Jesus. I'm sorry. you deserve. Though I'm weak and poor, all I have is yours. Every single breath, I'll bring you more than a song. For a song in itself is not what you have required. Search much deeper within Through the way things appear You're looking into my heart I'm coming back to the heart of worship And it's all about you It's all about you, Jesus I'm sorry, Lord, for the I see it now, I'm 
laying it down and I know that I need you I run to the Father I fall into grace I'm done with the hiding no reason to wait my heart needs a surgeon my soul needs a friend so I run to the Father again and again and again and again. Oh, oh, oh. You saw my condition and a plan from the start. Your son for Redemption, the place for my heart. And I don't have a contest for that kind of love. I don't understand, I can't comprehend. All I know is I need you. I run to the Father. Fall into grace. I'm done with the hiding, the reason to wait. My heart needs a surgeon, my soul needs a friend. So I run to the Father again and again and again and again. Oh, oh, again and again and again.
of grace is Jesus my Redeemer. There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus. For my life is wholly bound to His. Oh, how strange and divine I can sing. All is mine, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Yeah. 
Father, um, as we focus on our hearts this morning in our worship session, we just pray um, a gratitude of thanks for the group of pastors that you've given us that uh, focus our hearts on you every, every Sunday morning and what they have to bring to us in the message to prick our hearts so that we as we turn to you, dear Lord, um, we open up those empty places in our hearts and clean them out and fill them with you. It is all about you, Jesus. Help us as we run to the Father. Help us to run fast. As we focus on him, it's not us, but it's you living in us, dear Lord. And you are our only hope. It's only in you. Be with Doug this morning as he brings his word. Again, let him touch our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. We're going to read out of Matthew again this morning. Matthew 5 and 13 through 16 as all the kids head off to junior church. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a blanket and a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to you, Father, who is in heaven. Good morning. It's great to see everybody here today. So um, the story is told of a second grader who just tended to lose everything. Anytime his mother would send a message in, it never got to the teacher. It was a catastrophe. Well, assignment went out that all the kids were supposed to bring um, a copy of the, their birth certificate so they could talk about it for, for during school. And of course, 
He lost it somehow on the bus before he got to school. So he's real nervous. He knows he has to go up to his teacher and say something. And so he approached the teacher's desk and he said, teacher, I forgot my excuse for being born. In the words that only a second grader could actually say. And, and I wonder if that's true of us sometimes. Have you forgotten your excuse for being born again? What it means to be God's people. It's a, it's a problem that's not only true of second graders, it's true of us. It's true of those that are hearing the Sermon on the Mount for the first time. So we come to this really interesting passage in Matthew chapter 5 that is, is a passage that's telling us about our Christian identity, who we are, who we, who we really are from God's perspective. And I, I, I want to just make it real, real, real for you, if you will. I, if you have your Bibles, before I read verse 13, um, Remember, we've, we've been talking, James has been talking the last two weeks about what we call the Beatitudes, which you find in verses 2 down through verse 12, right? And we, we read those. But here's what's really interesting. Most of the Beatitudes are written in the third person. In other words, you say this, blessed are, and then you talk about them. You, you, you know what I mean? Now, you're supposed to ask yourself whether that's you or not. Fair enough. But notice what happens with verse 10, it says, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We're going like, okay, we got it. In verse 11 and 12, he turns it from third person to second person. He, he says, you. So we'll look at what he says in verse 11 and 12. Blessed are you. See how direct that is? Jesus is saying to his disciples, guys, this is you. Blessed are you when men cast insults and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And you go like, okay, got it. And I think sometimes what we forget, the verses we're talking about today are so popular. Like, have you... If you're here today and you say, I never heard that I'm the salt of the earth. I never heard that I'm the light of the world. This is a brand new revelation. I don't think so, right? But you realize it's directly connected to persecution. You can't really read 13 to, uh, 13 to 16 apart from, from the Beatitudes and in particular 11 and 12. Because he turns very directly and he says, blessed are you when you're persecuted. And so here we're talking about people who are facing persecution. And if I could maybe say it like this, I'll explain this in just a minute. If I'm being persecuted, and, and the, the Beatitudes are so they, so, they feel, as James was saying, they feel so contradictory, don't they? I am a persecuted peacemaker. Well, that doesn't... That sounds like it that's like doesn't connect. Oh, no. You are all about helping people come to peace with God and with one another. But a lot of people are going to oppose you in the process. 
and you'll be persecuted. You know what my tendency would be? If I'm feeling persecution, what's your tendency if people are, are persecuting me? You know what my tendency is? Close off. I'm just saying. I would be very, very happy just to isolate. You know? Do my own little thing and, do, and, and, and that kind of thing. So, so when, when I read this passage about light and salt, don't just think like, this is just a happy, happy. Like we're going to just da-da-da. You know, pour it out and sh turn it on, man. Turn on the light or something like that, you know. I mean, now, now, that, I'm, I'm for all that. But it's in a context, folks. And the context is not always so easy. And therefore, the, the realism of the text ultimately encourages us. Because it is the world in which we live. And in that world, persecuted people... The option is not isolation. Isolation means you're not of the world and you're not in the world. You know what another temptation is for me? And perhaps for you? Sometimes it's easier to step all the way to the other side and choose to imitate the world. In that case, I'm of the world and in the world. That's not a good option either. Because then, I don't have a message. With the first one, I have a message, but I don't have an audience. The scripture calls us to this middle road. Even as we seek to make peace, we realize there's going to be persecution. The middle of the road, and that sounds like a compromise. This is a good compromise. To be not of the world, but to be in the world. And these passages we're looking at today, salt and light, I think the one is nuancing one direction and the other one is nuancing the other direction. Salt is going to push us away from being like the world and light is going to push us away from isolating from the world. We have to somehow work that middle ground. All of us have contact with people who don't know Christ They've never become, become forgiven uh, Christ followers. All of us have those contacts. They may be informal, formal. They may be within your home, your extended family, workplace, neighborhood, school, again and again. And, and so the question is, what does it mean for me to be in the world, but not of the world? And that a world that often is adversarial. What does it mean for me? And so I want to just look at these two images. And if you've, you know, if you've read these passages, you've known them, you've quoted them, you've memorized them, whatever. Um, try to taste again for the first time as we walk our way through this text. Because the one will protect us from moving to imitation and the other one will protect us from moving to isolation. Okay. All right, this first image, and you can see that's why I brought these. Uh, these are not real, they're all replicas. I could not afford a real one, but we'll get to them. Yeah, there's, there's the little, the light thing, we'll explain. And um, I don't know, my wife came up with this idea, I thought it was pretty good. So this is, this is actually pink Himalayan sea salt, but I, I know Israel's not near the Himalayans, but 
best we could do, okay? So, so maybe as you see that, those images you'll at least be thinking about as we talk, talk our way through this. So first of all, we want to talk about salt. Christians like salt. Let, let me just read the statement and then, then we'll kind of unpack it, okay? But here it is. Like salt, Christians are to influence their culture by preserving and promoting the good rather than to lose their distinction and influence. Um, I know, I know some one, I, 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 I know some, well, they're, they're, they're nice people, Christians who have all kinds of contacts with people around them that don't know Christ. And I, I'll just say it like this. Haven't you ever found yourself in a situation, you're, you're with the guys, whatever that group is, and somebody starts telling a dirty joke or something, and everybody laughs except you? you, you I mean, it's, it's, it's hard, isn't it? I mean, it's easier just to go, <laughs> you just say, well, I just laughed a little, <laughs> you know, not, not too much. Because you think to yourself, do I want to be a prude right now? I mean, that's what you think. And... We, we, we have those temptations all the time. And, and God calls us this distinction. So l- l- listen to what he says. He's going to move from the reality of the presence of the Christian identity to the tragedy of losing it. The reality first. Look there again at verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. Well, I don't, I don't feel like salt. I know. But if you're a Christian... You have the spirit of God in your heart, your soul, who is constantly at work making you like Jesus Christ by convicting you, by encouraging you, by pointing you back to the word. And the spirit is just constantly at work. Christ is your Lord. God is your father. And all of that is so rich and powerful in your life. And he says, look, whether you feel it or not, you are the salt of the earth. Now, Salt was used a lot of different ways in antiquity. And, and scholars, boy, they get, man, commentators, I don't know, you have to make money, so you have to say something new, I suppose. But man, alive, do they argue about all kinds of things here. What does salt stand for? Sometimes salt was used in antiquity just to preserve meat, fish, that kind of thing. You'd put it in salt. It was very, very, very common. So you would preserve food with it. Sometimes it's used to purify things. Um, it, 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 it's, it's, it's tasty. It's a condiment. We all enjoy it. So it can be used in a variety of ways. And I'm not so sure that Jesus is just focusing on one of those. I think he's thinking more broadly. Salt has this sense of both preserving or restraining so that things aren't as bad as they could be if you weren't here. And then again, on the other hand, tasty and, and, and purifying. They promote the good. And so he says, that's who you are. You are meant to be God's man or woman in a particular place at a particular time. So that people get a sense of who God is. And, and by your very presence, I, Tim and I have talked about this. Um, and I've had the same experience, but I remember Tim sharing this before that, that when he was doing some stuff, I think, with, uh, in, in his business, he met some people and cursing up one street down the other, and all of a sudden he says, yeah, I'm a pastor at the chapel. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> right, right, yeah, uh, yeah, oh, sorry, man. Hey, uh, hey, I do that too. They found, whoa, hey, hey, you're one of those guys. Well, 
there is a restraining element there. I mean, it's not getting him into heaven or anything, but it, it is at least holding something back a little bit. Yet we, we restrain and, and we promote the good where people, you actually let them realize, taste and see that the Lord is good. And you, they can look at your life and they can say, that person has it together. Not perfectly, none of us do. But what is it that they have? You see, salt can both promote the good and preserve the evil. But there's, uh, there's tragedy that can occur. Look at what he goes on to say. If the salt has become tasteless, or literally it's, it's the word dull. Sometimes it's used for a fool. You know the word moron? It comes from the Greek word. Uh, and, and, and so next time, you, so I'm just quoting Greek now, but, 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 and it just means you're dull. There's this standard of wisdom and you're like the opposite. And the salt can be dull and, and it can lose, lose its taste. Um, we try to watch our salt intake in the Finkbeiner home, as you probably do too, especially as I get older. Um, so we try to come up with other herbal things. But look, you know what it's like to get eggs, and there's nothing on those eggs. Nothing. They're just kind of, they're, they're harder to eat, to be honest with you. It's nice to have a little bit. So I go with like Himalayan salt or something like that, because I say at least to myself, I think it's healthier, <laughs> and then I can put it on. Um, and, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of what we do. But, but what happens if salt loses becomes dull. And you, you may say, well, I know science. And sodium chloride cannot lose its, its saltiness. It's impossible. And you know what? You're exactly right. But in the ancient world, they would often get their salt from the Dead Sea. And that particular, and there'd be these huge, what looked like salt clumps. But it was often mixed with salt and other kinds of minerals like gypsum, which you shouldn't eat. And, and, and what would happen with these blocks, people would think that the whole thing is just salt, when in reality it's a mix, and it would get wet, and the salt would just literally wash away, and all you'd have left is this hunk of gypsum or, and, and, and other minerals like that. And you couldn't use it for anything. And so he says, if this block no longer is what it was intended to be, which is salt, what's it good for? It's good for nothing anymore except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. So I don't know, if you're in an area that's muddy, you can just throw a bunch of it down and at least, you know, maybe you won't slip so much. or, or so. That, That's the only thing it's good for. They're really strong words, aren't they? If Doug Finkbeiner, in the culture around me, lives just like the culture around me, I've become completely dull and I have no impact. And you can't use me as a condiment and you can't use me as a pres preserver, you can't use me for anything. But the only thing it's good for it's to throw it out and let people trample on it.
That's not you, is it? My brothers, and I'm speaking to my brothers and sisters in Christ. If you're here today, you don't know Christ as your Savior, you need Christ. <laughs> Plain and simple, you need Christ. But if you do know Christ, my brothers and sisters, this is your identity. This is who you are. You are a person, and look, we're reading all the way through the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount just tells us who we are. And we're going to read things in here. You're going to say, like, I got to grow in that area. Me too. But it's what can be true by the power of the Spirit. And in your heart of hearts, isn't it what you want? I, I believe it. If you have no Christ in your heart of hearts, that's what you want. And he says, be salt. Don't live in such a way that you no longer, you have contacts, but you have no impact. And so the tragedy of the absence of Christian identity. He switches gears then. And in 14 to 16, he talks about light. So, again, what do I have down here? A couple of things. So you've got, I'm trying to look around that thing. There we go. The reality of the presence of Christian identity. So here it is again. You are the light of the world. Yeah, but I don't feel like it. <laughs> I know. I don't either often. But that doesn't change the reality. That's who you are. Um, we're going to do a little exercise here. Look, look, the lights are going to go out, but it's all pre-planned. Okay? No problem. And it's just going to be for a second. All right? I got my handy-dandy electric um, lantern right here. So... Let's try it and see what happens. We all okay? Here we go. All right. Of course, it, I, there, it's a little bit. Oh, I forgot that we had that. That's all right. That's all right. Bummer. It kinda, we, we thought about all the stuff. I wonder, do you look like that or like that? Oh, look, that's really good. Okay, let me get it back on so people don't get scared. How significant is this to us finding our way out of this, out of here, if this was a cave? And God says in his world, a, a world of darkness, that's Christian. Now, what would have really been cool we can put the lights back on, um, hopefully. What would be really cool, and I, I just thought about this now, Tim, if we all would have had candles we and we could have lit all those candles. And so I got my light here. You get your light over there and you got your light there and you got your light there and you got your light there. Far, folks, the world is a dark place. Oh, I know people are making money and technology is moving and we got AI is going to answer all the prep questions of the world and blah, 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 blah. Who wants to talk to a machine? I mean, really. But, but, but I get it and I see value with it I'll get to a point. But, but, but you know what I'm saying? But there's people that are behind all that and there's, there's just a whole host of darkness that goes on. And you and I... 
Whether we feel like it or not, if you know Christ as your savior, that is you. And you're needed as God makes a difference in the world. So he says, you're the light of the world. And what strikes me on this passage, with the salt, the problem is I lose all saltiness and I become like the very people I'm trying to minister to. No good. With light, it's not that the light becomes darkness, it's that the light becomes covered up because of isolation. Look what it says. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Um, I remember, and maybe you've had these experiences though, you're out, it's dark, you're hiking. Um, it's really dark. You're trying to find your way back and all of a sudden you see the light of a town. You go like, oh, yes. I don't know what city Jesus is specifically referring to here. Perhaps one of the ones in Galilee, around the Sea of Galilee, that's kind of up on a hill a little bit. But at night, you know, they don't have electricity. And they're wandering these paths. They don't know where they're going. And all of a sudden, they see the light. And they go like, oh, that's where I need to go. Now I can see. Our world is deceived. Folks, if you don't shine the light, both in your words and in your deeds, how will they ever know? So look at what he goes on to say. Nor do men light a lamp, and he's talking about something, you know, one of these little guys. Neither do men light a lamp and put it under the peck measure, this basket. Rather, they put it on the lampstand. If you see on the right, I'm sorry, up here, on that side. That's, a, that's an ancient lampstand. And what they would do in their homes often is at nighttime, they would, I'm going to pull this out here, stick it in here. They'd have their little wicks and the oil, and they'd turn that on. And so it would light the whole room. They'd put it up on one of those lampstands so that the whole room would be illuminated. And that's all they had. But that was something that made a big difference. And this passage says, humanly speaking, you are all the world has. So put that up on that lampstand. You see, but it's just a little wick. I know. But it's something. And that little something, by God's grace through his spirit, can make a big difference. You are the light of the world. If you put that under a, a basket, you don't do that. You put it on a lampstand, and then it gives light to all who are in the house. Most of their homes were just one-room homes. You go like, oh, really? One, one little candle doesn't work in my home. Yeah, they're not Americans. Ancient world, most, of those, most people, one room. That's it. So it would actually light that whole house in their case. And here's his application in verse 16. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's pretty simple, but it's really profound. When your light 
shines and your light, it's interesting, the imagery of light, think about the imagery of light in, in the Bible. Matter of fact, I'm going to have you look at something here for just a second. When you think of light, who do you think of first? Jesus, well, yeah, and you can go back to the Old Testament and talk about God, Father, and so, but yeah, you think of Jesus. Go back for just a second, Matthew chapter 4. Jesus' ministry is just about to begin. And listen to what is said in Matthew chapter 4, verse 15 and 16. 14, 15, and 16. Matthew says this. Jesus Christ has come on the scene. And listen to what he says. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet saying, the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, listen, the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. And to those who were sitting in the land and in the shadow of death, upon them a light has dawned. Do you see what Matthew is saying? The world is dark. And Jesus comes on the scene. And as John tells us in John chapter 8, Jesus is the light of the world. And yet, he uses that same expression for you and me. Isn't that interesting? Well, this is Jesus, right? Yeah. And my wife and I were thinking about this. We were driving up here last night. And, um, and again, if you're a science buff, you can correct me here, but I'm pretty sure we're, we're right on this. There is no light on the moon. It, it, it merely reflects the sun. That is the perfect analogy of how light works. Jesus is the light of the world. We as the moon can so reflect him that you can call us the light of the world only because he is the light working through us. It's not generated from me. It comes from him through me. So much so that over in Acts chapter 13, when Paul is actually ministering, he goes back to another one of the servant songs that talks about Christ as the light. And he says, we are the ones who are to bring light to the Gentiles. And sometimes I've thought about that and I thought, no, wait a second, Paul. That Isaiah passage is talking about Jesus. And you're saying it's you. And Paul's saying, yeah, it's Jesus through me. That's how it works. You are the light of the world. It doesn't start with you. It starts with him through you out. And it's not merely my words. It's my life. What happens if I can give you the Romans road upside one, down one side and up the other? And I'm unkind to my wife and I scream at coworkers and, 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 and I'm unkind to my neighbor. Who's going to listen? Now, this passage says, look, what you're reading in the Sermon on the Mount that's what God wants to do in your life. And if you're a Christian, God can make that a greater reality. 
And so when you pull into somebody's life and you share Christ with them, you do it in such a way that they say, that is, he's talking to me about somebody who can really change you from the inside out. And when they look at that, they're going to say, Finkbeiner doesn't do that of himself. <laughs> I know Finkbeiner. That must be God doing something in him. And so they don't glorify me. They glorify the one who's the source of what I'm actually doing. So he says, you are the light of the world. Don't isolate and put it under a basket. Don't, don't, well, that's, a, that's another one. How about that? Yeah, it gets. Don't turn it off. Turn it on like the moon, which reflects the reality of the sun in all of your relationships. And when you do that, people will know by what you say and what you do that it's not you. It's your father. First time the word father is used in the Sermon on the Mount. It's, it occurs 20 times in the Sermon on the Mount. He is our father who loves us, who is there to transform us, who can transform us. Glory, so you want people to glorify the father who is the source of all the stuff they see in your life. That's the way it's supposed to work. And when we do, folks, God is big. I mean, what's it mean to glorify God? Growing up sometimes, I would say, we got to glorify God. It was, it's one of those kind of um, fuzzy words, you know? Like, glorify God. Yeah, whatever. Bless God. It's one of those fuzzy ones, right? To glorify God means to make him big. And when he works through you, through your works and your words, and you seek to live out who you are out loud, God is big. And at the end of the day, that's all that matters. There's going to be a flip side in chapter 6 where it's going to talk about people doing religiosity for themselves. That's, that's something completely different. This is a sincere heart that so loves God that they want other people to see what God can do through my life to impact them. And my prayer, my prayer is that that is what all of us want to do. So let me give you the long one and I'll give you the short one. Here it is. Like salt and light, Christians are designed to influence the culture around them by speaking the gospel of the kingdom and living as true Christ followers rather than isolating from or imitating the culture so that God is glorified through our God-empowered and Christ-centered words and deeds. That's what God wants to do. Christian, be who you are. That's who you are. I don't feel like it sometimes. If you know Christ, that's who you are. That's what he's transforming you into. Live your Christian identity out loud. Our world desperately needs you. I'm going to pray here in just a moment. And as I go to prayer, I'm, I'm going to wait about 45 seconds to a minute. And I'd like you to think for just a moment.
in your life? Or could be a group of people. Who are some people in your life that God's spirit right now is putting his finger on and saying, I want to use you with them. I, I want you to live your faith, your identity out loud with them. Who would be number one? And then how might God want you to begin influencing them in a way that honors him? Does that make sense? Identify people and begin strategizing as God's spirit is the work in your heart. So what does that mean for me? Because we are never to isolate from the world. Neither are we to imitate the world, but rather by the power of the spirit to influence the world by our words and our deeds. Let's pray. Father, your word is clear. It's not hard to understand, not in this passage. But it is impossible for us to do apart from your enabling grace. For those of us who know you as Lord and Savior, in our heart of hearts, it's what we want. We don't always know how to get there but it's what we want. Will you continue that process in our lives, Lord? I thank you, Lord, for many of the folks that I know in this congregation. We have seen how you have used them in the lives of others. So many folks that are part of this church have come because of other people in the church that shined their light they poured on the salt. They did their part. And you did the rest. Father, encourage them with that. Even as we seek to increase our influence with others. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand and uh, sing our closing song with us? Oh, I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like, but I've heard the tender whisper of love in the dead of night when you tell me that you're pleased and that It's who I am, it's who I am, 
Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this morning where we have the opportunity to pour out our praises to you. Coming back to the heart of worship, Lord, um, emptying out our ourselves of ourselves so that we can focus on you uh, just more deeply. Lord, I pray that uh, the words that we that we sing each and every Sunday, Lord, would would resonate in our hearts. Uh, let these be the songs on on our lips um, this week, Lord. That we may be excited to come back next week and hear more, uh, Lord, uh, about your word and how it applies to us in our lives. Um, Father, uh, Lord, I, I just thank you so much for um, this church, Lord, that speaks the truth, the real truth. Father, there's no compromises here. <clears throat> and uh, Lord, I pray <clears throat> that, uh, Lord, as we just carry on through the winter and we're all stuck inside and getting sick. Lord, I, I just pray that you would give everybody just uh, the endurance we need to get through us until we can enjoy the sun again, get our kids outside so they're not so sick. Lord, I pray that you would just lift up those who are not feeling well, <clears throat> Lord. And uh, Father, just uh, help us to just get through the rest of the winter. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat>